This is the Producers Podcast. Featuring the most respected international talent in the world of audio production and voiceover. TV, radio, film, and more. In-depth interviews and industry insights. Putting you on the inside. Learn more at ryandreen.com. The Producers Podcast. With Ryan Dreen. We are back. 2019 is here. First show of the year. Thank you so much for checking it out. As always, I uh, took a small, well, you know, a little bit of an extra break, but I did do a little bit of work while I was gone. I did not completely slack, not the entire time. So I have three episodes locked and loaded to kick off the year today. Obviously, Bo Weaver is the guest. I'll tell you about him in a moment. Uh, 2019, also the year of of shorter intros. I'm going to try and just make with the content. So let me just promote a little bit about who's coming up. Uh, Dan Mumford, a producer out of the UK, have him booked, and uh, he has his background in radio imaging, but he's a music producer now. So we'll talk about that side of the world and maybe how you go from one to the other or do both, stretch your legs if you're musically inclined. Should be a, a pretty cool show. And then I'm bringing back someone I had on possibly a decade ago. Somehow this show is 11 years old this year. I don't know how. That happened. Uh, Roger Keeler, going to bring him back on. I'm a big fan of Keeler. Um, As I think about him, I don't know if there's anybody that is more perfectly suited for their gig than Keeler. He's at iHeart in Denver, uh, Channel 93.3. He, he voices stations, he, he's musical, he's comedic, he's everything about the brands that he works with and just has so much passion for this industry. So it's high time I bring him back on the show and get a new perspective from him on uh, the industry that has clearly changed so much in the last decade. So Keeler or Rocket, Roger Keeler coming up as well. Today, Bo Weaver, I can use the word legend with Bo. Um, you know, he, he's just, a, he's a nice guy. I think I might have called him a titan in the show. I did not gush too bad. I, I was cool. I think I stayed cool. Maybe, sort of, a little cool. He got his start back in, oh, I don't know, like the 60s? Yeah, voiceover in the 70s. He's got a radio background, uh, but he has dominated all genres of voiceover over the years. I'll, I'll just rattle off a few bullet points here. Live announce, Emmy Awards, other Hollywood shows, documentary series narration, uh, network promo, theatrical trailers, TV affiliate work is actually what he's doing a lot of now, commercial work, animation, radio imaging, it goes on and on. He is award-winning. He's also the on the advisory board of the Don LaFontaine voiceover lab, and we go into that in this show as well. Get some cool Don LaFontaine stories in there. Also, uh, for the new voice artists that are trying to break in, some people were kind of asking for the perspective of people that have been in the business on how to get into the business. I get into that uh, later in the show, but we definitely go into that in detail, and he had some sage words of advice on um, you know things you can do and what you need to be doing to be successful. Uh, I, I'd say that's good. That's good. Yeah, his website, spokenword.com. So I put together a short little demo here, but uh, tons of demos and full length and a lot more about Bo found on his website. Again, that's spokenword.com. So let's hear a quick sample, and then let's bring him on, the one and the only Bo Weaver. This summer, two worlds will collide and become one slightly bigger world. Is this thing on? Homer, we're recording. Go! Dr. Martin Luther King. We got a statement, please. Selma is the best-reviewed movie of the year. Dr. King, if you march, place yourself at great personal risk. It's enormously entertaining, powerful, 
a triumph. Inside Out is the nation's number one family movie. You won't believe what happens next. An all-new How to Get Away with Murder on ABC starts in three, two, one. Call Curtis, Got Answers, and more. What we uncovered about the pharmacy's past, Monday at 10. Incredible. We've got to do something before the city is incinerated. That's FM 105.9 and still AM 630 WMAL. The smoothest place on the radio. 94.7. The Wave. All right, well, there's a voice that if you are listening to this podcast, you are familiar with. Let me properly introduce my guest. I'm going to say this, uh, sir, but a titan in the voiceover industry, Bo Weaver, joins me on the show today. Bo, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me. Well, as long as you don't call me an expert, because do you okay. know what an expert is? No, you tell me. An X is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> hey, you know what? Um, I've talked to a lot of people. I have never heard that one before. Okay. So I will not call you that. I am not an expert. But I will I will call you Titan. Um, I can call you a legend. Can I, can I call you that? What well, does that make you feel if I say— Well, all of those words simply mean, dude, you're old. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't mean it that way, and you know that, but um, you've been around. I have. You've been around for a minute. I have. Um, So, all right. So, I've got a roadmap of all kinds of topics that I want to get into, but as a kid who grew up in L.A., now, yeah, I'm a little younger than you, so I technically wasn't alive when you were, you know, just starting, but you did some legendary radio to start your career. Um First job, absolutely. Uh, radio was my first love, and and I yeah. hate to say it, and I've said this before in other venues, but seeing radio now is kind of like running into your old middle school girlfriend on the street, <laughs> but she's lying face down in a puddle of her own vomit with a needle sticking out of her arm. I mean, you're glad to see her, but oh, honey, are, you know, but bless are you? your heart, honey, you know, yeah. But oh, it was my great. first love. It was my first love because uh, I grew up in Tulsa, and there was a disc jockey on at night on KAKC who was a big star, and he had a television show, and I, I went to a concert where he emceed the concert. And when he came out on stage, the girls screamed, mm-hmm. and some of them appeared to be throwing panties. <laughs> and in that moment, I said... That is a good job to have. And that was the beginning of it for me. So when you do the radio thing, you either kind of find it later or you seem to get into it real early. And you were one of the real early ones. I was. I hung around the radio station and uh, went to all their uh, appearances and I entered all their contests. And pretty soon I was pulling records for them and answering their phones. And I kind of weaseled my way into an on-air job when I was 15 and Mm -hmm. uh, did it all the way through high school and then started getting hired at bigger and bigger stations uh, in my early 20s. Uh, uh, You know, I astonishingly, I I was hired to do morning drive at KFRC in San Francisco when I was 21 and, um, you know, ended up at my dream station, KHJ, in 1976. 
And uh, that was that's crazy. When when radio was the big time, we had engineers. Um, uh, we you know, and and this will blow the minds of a lot of people in radio today. At KHJ in 1976, the sales guys were not even allowed to come in the building. <laughs> They had oh, them in, the in a building. trailer in the parking lot <laughs> on the Paramount lot. So that's really? when programming ruled. And it's a, just a, it's a different day now. Yeah, but, certainly. Well, but I discovered are, uh, yeah. voiceover at that time when I was working for KHJ in 1976. And uh, the long story made short is one of the uh, other uh, air talents, a guy named Dave Sebastian Williams, uh, was in one of the production studios one night, and he was uh, running copies of uh, tape, uh, you know, something on reel-to-reel. And, and in those days, you couldn't touch the equipment. The, only the engineers could touch the equipment. And I saw him in the, in the uh, production studio, and I, I went and said, Dave, what are you doing, man? You're going to get in big trouble here. They're going to write you up, and, and, and there will be a grievance, and you'll have to pay a fine. What are you doing? And he said, close the door, man. Um, I'm making copies of my voiceover demo. And I said, voiceover demo? What's, what's that? You know, and he played a little bit of it for me. And I said, but Dave, that's just a bunch of spots. And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that's where the money is. I said, really? And he said, yeah. Do you know what kind of money you can make doing national television commercials? And I said, no. And so he told me. And so I said, I got to get one of those, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, hold on, not so fast. It, as, as it turns out, they don't like radio guys. Advertising agencies hate radio people. And I said, why? We're on the top station in the United States. He says, yeah, but we have a sound that they hate. And, but fortunately, there's a kind of a therapy for that. There is a workshop run by a woman named Joan Gerber, who was, uh, in those days, the top female voiceover talent, did tons of animation and national commercials, and she was a, a, you know, a coach, and she ran a voiceover workshop out of her living room up up in the Hollywood Hills. And Dave mm-hmm. said, uh, I'm going. You can come with me if you want. And so I, I went, and my, my world changed in that moment because what I saw them doing was something altogether different from what I knew. There was an actor's approach to commercials, and I realized, oh, man, this is a whole different thing, and I don't know anything about it. Now, it it took me a minute to get to that uh, frame of mind because they started off the workshop with a cold reading exercise where everyone comes up to the front, they have a copy stand with a piece of copy, and you slate your name and do a cold read. And so in those days on KHJ, about 50% of the copy on the air was done live. And uh, so I went, oh, dude, I, I'm so nailing yeah, this. You own this. I, I yeah. know this, man. So I went up there full of, you know, cocky radio guy swagger. Yeah. And I, I uh, uh, slated my name and uh, Joan Gerber whipped around and goes, disc jockey, right? <laughs> and I went, uh... Huh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. So and and anyway, uh, she said, "I can smell you guys a mile away." And so I sat back and listened to the other actors working, and I saw that they were doing something completely different. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I wanted to learn it. 
And I went back to the station the next day and said to one of the other guys who was on the air staff, Hey, man, I, I went to this incredible thing last night. you got to come. It's a voice actor's workshop. It, you know, it would be right up your alley. And, and he leaned back in his chair and kind of folded his arms and said, Well, sounds kind of interesting. I, I, I might go to that if they want me to teach, <laughs> if they want me to lead it. And I went, oh, okay. no, 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 man. No, this is a whole different thing. But for some reason, I was willing to be a beginner and, and to learn something new. And from then on, that's, that's all of my focus has been on that. And it's a very different and, realm from radio. Yeah, we've definitely talked about that, you know, a lot on, on this particular podcast. You know, the, the radio stench that needs to get shed you know, often with people that make that transition. I'm really interested, though. So you say that's about 1976 yeah. when you were on. I mean, that is Boss Radio. I mean, growing up there, I had, you know, known of it. But, I mean, legendary, truly legendary. Well, we, that, uh, I was there for its last number one book. And, uh, you know, okay. after that, uh, uh, FM penetration began to uh, turn the tide and the, the big numbers started to be on FM. Yeah, but we were the last was... hurrah of uh, big-time pop radio on AM. And those were fun days, man. Those now, were, were days. You on, uh, yeah. Were you on FM, though, on, no, on Boss no, Radio on no, FM? No, this was on AM. Okay, so you okay, so your is it true to say that your radio career, you made that transition, kind of as AM was get going out. Yeah, FM I, was coming I did in. radio for a few more years, but uh, was out okay. of it uh, uh, completely in the mid eighties. So seventy uh, six ish is when you decide to go take this voiceover workshop, and you say you stayed in radio a little bit longer, but uh, what, what all what of were my attention of, was on on learning. The voice actors' right. approach, and you know, uh, it, very shortly, uh, that was my my en- entire focus. And the um, uh, a, a big break for me came. Yeah, uh, yeah, in, that's what I was. In uh, oh, I guess it was uh, 1982 or 1983, and I was in Denver, living in the mountains, and I had been hired by one of the television stations in Denver to be their their promo voice. And uh, as it happened, I was repped by the same agent who handled uh, the uh, the voiceover talents for, for two other stations, uh, Channel 7 and 9, Ed O'Brien and Roger Thompson. Now, Denver television stations were at that time a lot more sophisticated than broadcast operations in markets of similar sizes. Um, mm-hmm. Denver TV looked more like San Francisco or New York. And each of the Denver stations had a top-flight VO talent under contract. Now, in most markets, even in New York and L.A., the promo voice tended to be like a station utility on-camera guy, weekend weather fill-in guy who worked for their AM sister station who voiced the promo spots. And Uh usually he was, like, really lame. But around then, there arose some national consultants who were significantly raising the production values for local stations. They were bringing uh, all the big-time trappings that the networks had to local stations. I mean, like futuristic sets and custom graphics and chirons and custom music packages, all that kind of thing. But the, the local booth announcer guy was not cutting it. You know, he was just not matching this this upscale vibe. And uh, and the stations were also starting to do highly produced topical news promos. 
So, you know, the local announcer, you know, who might also be the voice of the waterbed warehouse spots in that market, you know, was just like, no, this is... Well, at any rate, my friend Ed O'Brien, voice of, uh, um, I think, Channel 7 in Denver, came up with the idea that our voiceover services could be sold to stations in other cities. Now, this is a... I thought that's where... This is a radical idea. Um, Yep, yep. You know, uh, like... A television station in Chicago directs us over the phone, and we send them the reel of tape by this brand new technology called Federal Express Overnight. Right. Can I pause? So up until this time, generally speaking, as you just said, it was a local – it was somebody local within the group or the station – or it was generally somebody local in some capacity. And almost always it was an in-house station person, you know? Right. And and that was across the country. Yeah. I mean, people no. really weren't shipping voiceover no, in not any capacity. No, not at all. No, no. Yeah. There were a couple. Uh, and now, Charlie Van Dyke was voicing some news opens for a few stations, but not being the entire voice of the station. Yeah. Um, so, so, Ed had the idea that because Roger and I and Ed all had very different styles, that we could join forces and promote ourselves together. Because if you if you were going to pick Ed, you would never use me, you know? So, right, okay. so we started a little company, and it was called Three Fine Pipes. <laughs> okay. Ed's wife made up that name. We put out a demo on reels of tape, and we mass-mailed it to like 200 television promotion managers, and we started attending the broadcast marketing convention. It was the forerunner to Promax called BPA. And yep. in short order, we were all doing a slate of television stations from home studios. Now, this is even before fax machines. So they, yeah. w- they would dictate the copy to us, record it, and then run down to uh, FedEx, Man. you know, before a four o'clock deadline with a dozen yep. reels a day. You know. And how long, it w- that was overnight, so it would be there in the morning. That was the, as fast as the turnaround could be. Yeah. But this was yeah. astonishing turnaround to them. This was oh, lightning absolutely. speed, you know. Well, well, most of them probably just simply didn't have the ability to have someone out of market. So even that was amazing. Yeah. The ability to get someone at a top level that right. wasn't even in town. So doing this somehow caught the attention of one of the talent agents in L.A., and he didn't quite understand what it was that I was doing, but he was interested and wanted me to to, uh, to come back to L.A., and he would rep me, and so I came back. And uh, I well, still—he just didn't understand. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm recording uh, promos for television stations in my home studio. And he was like, no, Bo, we, we, no, you go to studios, you drive to studios, you don't do it at home. <laughs> But yeah. but my home studio there in uh, in L.A. in 84 was probably the first voice talent home studio. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So uh, tell me about, again, we, we don't, I don't know for sure if it was the first home studio, but well, it might Joe have been. Well, Joe Cipriano had a studio at home, but it was a radio station studio. He was still doing radio work, and it okay. was uh, like a home radio uh, uh, station type thing. Uh, and and so tell me about your first home studio in 1984. Yeah, it was a small uh, mixer board uh, with a with a limiter and a uh, um, a let's see the microphone I was using is that Sennheiser 321. What is that? Is that ring a bell? And um, just with some uh, limiting and a, a little bit of mid range EQ, and I recorded it on uh, a quarter inch tape. 
Yeah, and you went straight to tape, and you probably weren't going to be doing any editing. Nope, no editing. you have to be cutting tape, and who has time for that when right. you're <laughs> shipping FedEx. Right. <laughs> um, so you had you had your uh, any processing is actually in the console. That's what you're saying? That yep. The stuff was built into yes. your console? Right, right. Yeah. And what about your room? How did, I mean, did you get, you know, the whole, <laughs> the egg crate stuff, or did you invest in some material that... At was that hard to point, get at the time? I put carpeting on the walls, which uh, killed the okay. bounce uh, very nicely. And the amazing thing is that that little room just sounded great. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, because I, I knew uh, we wanted to. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, so at the time, you were doing something. It's very possible just the three of you were making available. How did people find out about what you were doing, and did you see people start to knock you off, and did it change very rapidly? Oh, it did. You know, my little mic switch keeps cutting out. So, uh, so yeah, it did uh, change very rapidly, and pretty soon um, this is the way it was done, and, and it is now. Uh, it is the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as your, you know, your competition, did you start to see... Like, like, were you kind of a monopolistic for a period of time? Did you for feel, a period did you ever of feel time, like that? Yes, and and yeah. then others started to join. But I, I've never paid any attention to to that. Yeah, I don't think in terms of competition. You know, it's just mm-hmm. uh, we're all just doing our thing. You know, mm-hmm. and and the way I'm competitive is with myself to do the best job I possibly can, and and that that has. Uh, this and this, what we did with uh, with three fine pipes, um, and and what I do for um, for television broadcasters in in major markets is I understand what they're doing, and I give them extremely good service, and uh, I know what they want because I know what they're doing. You know, I know their business. You know, I've I've you know worked in in television a couple of decades longer than I ever worked in radio, so mm-hmm. so. I know what they want. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm interested when you when you eventually made the you know official transition and you were 100 percent full time voiceover. You had mentioned you know this endeavor, Three Fine Pipes. Was there other events that happened professionally that that sort of kicked you in the butt and said, "Okay, it's time to quit that radio job." You know, this is this is what I'm doing. This is my career. Well, I transitioned out of it slowly when I came back to L.A. Uh, in 1984, I was doing an on-air shift for the first of the satellite broadcasters called the Transtar Radio Network. Okay. And uh, we were on the air in like 300 different markets, but we made it sound like we were local. And so I was still doing a radio job, but it wasn't on the air in L.A., so I didn't have the stigma of being a radio guy. Okay. So I did that until... I was too busy in voiceover to keep doing it until it just was costing me to keep doing it, and then I let it go. Right. How long would you say it took you, in your mind, to completely shed that radio stench? Well, you know, look, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because— the, the, a lot of the sounds that we produced in radio can be repurposed in promo. But mm-hmm. they come from a different place, you know. Um, the radio sound is is really a set of bad habits, and 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 the, and part of it comes from multitasking, 
Now, what a radio talent can do is actually pretty extraordinary. You're producing yeah. while you're performing. You know, and you're looking ahead and you've got three clocks going on and, you know, you're actually doing about five things at once. But what mm -hmm. that does is it causes you to judge your performance as you're doing it. And, and you hear yourself as you're performing and you're adjusting yourself based on what you're hearing in the headphones and it creates a feedback loop and it takes you out of the moment. The best voiceover work, whether it's a, a national commercial or even, even things that are very stylized, have you as a performer being in the moment, not judging it, just doing it, just mm -hmm. letting it flow. And if you're listening to yourself and looking at the waveform on a monitor, you're, you can't be in the moment. Now, that's one of the reasons I work the way I do. Now, I know a lot of guys who have a radio background set up their studios to look like little radio stations, you know, with a monitor in front of them, and they've got all, mm -hmm. you know, all the gear, and, you know, because that's their comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Having all this equipment spread around and, and, and like that, but it keeps you in a certain mindset. Most of my career in L.A. from... Oh, God, the mid-80s, you know, all the way up through the, you know, the, the mid, you know, around 2010. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the, the jobs that I would do would be driving to a studio and you walk into to a very, very large room where there is a copy stand and a microphone. And across the glass are the advertising agency producers and the audio engineers. And you have a sheet of paper and you perform. And you have mm -hmm. absolutely no control over the microphone placement and, you know, audio processing and all that. That's just not your job. The only thing you, that's your job is your performance. And so that's the way I set my studio up. Uh, I have a, a, a booth that is simply a performance space. And I've got a little podium and a microphone and, uh, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, and I read the, scripts the off an iPad, and I and I have a little timer because I have to do a lot of things to time. Uh, but yeah. the but the equipment is outside, you know. So I'm not looking at anything uh, technical, you know. It's just me and the words. The the picture you gave me specifically to you know use on mm -hmm. this on this show. That's you in your in your personal studio yes. as you work. Right. Yeah. So people can get a, a glimpse of actually what you're saying right now. Right. Yeah. I can see that the tape is rolling. Yeah, but, that's but important. I'm, but I'm not. Uh, but otherwise, I'm not engaged with equipment. You're a big. Um, I'm going to bounce a little bit here, but you're a big uh, twisted wave guy. I know you've yeah. talked about that a, a lot. Uh, anyway, is that what you use on the regular, or do you use what? What do you use to record with? Uh, a, a twisted wave is the only thing that's on my machine. Okay, so you're a Mac guy. Yes, I yep. was a uh, Windows guy for a long time, and. Um, I, I liked a, um, a program called Sony Soundforge and, oh, yeah. yep. uh, in, in the earlier iteration of it because of some ways that I could automate my, or, 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 well, not really automate, uh, customize the keyboard shortcuts so that it worked the way I wanted to work. Because mm -hmm. doing uh, uh, promos for television stations, man, I, 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 I do an enormous volume of stuff and I've got to be really fast. 
And, uh, you know, SoundForge worked the way I wanted it to work. Well, for a variety of reasons, I wanted to move into the Mac platform, and I um, I tried every Mac program. You know, uh, Pro Tools is way too complex for what I want to do because all I want to do is capture the performance, do light edit, and send it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pro Tools is just way too complex. And, and it, you know, it, it kept crashing and, you know, I, I just don't have time. I don't have time to futz with technology. The technology has to be like a refrigerator. You open it up, you know, and yeah. you, you it get just some, works. You know, it's just there. So yeah. I, I looked for a program that would work very much like SoundForge, and I found a couple that were almost it, and then I found um, Twisted Wave. My friend Randy Brown and I were both trying every single program we could find, and we, we found this one. And uh, Randy found a bug in it, and he wrote to the customer service department, and... Um, the next day, he got a new build of the program with a bug fixed. Huh. Went, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it turns out it's Twisted Wave is one guy. It's a German guy who lives in Paris. And this is, all, <laughs> this is his whole gig is, is yeah. Twisted Wave. So I made a couple of suggestions about how I would like it to operate, some features I would like, and bang, next day I get a new build. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it, it really works for me because I have it yeah. customized so that it can be extremely fast. And I wanted people to hear about that because uh, it hasn't been brought up on this show very often. And I know you were a big proponent. And I also knew that you were with it early and helped, you know, uh, refine it, as you just said. Well, a little bit. Uh, you know, I made some suggestions and I became kind right. of an evangelist uh, uh, for yep. it. and. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the designers at Pro Tools stay up late at night thinking of new ways to break your heart. Um, <laughs> well, look, let's be honest. I mean, if, if you are a voice actor for a living and you're never producing multi-track content, there's really no reason for you to ever pay the money for Pro Tools. Right. Period. Well, production is not part of the voice actor's toolkit. Right. There are some people yeah. who do both. Uh, but you know that's it's just a, a completely different ball game. I never produce anything at all. Yeah, and I wanted people to because people always want to know. Well, I want to continue on the tech talk here too. Mm-hmm. People are going to want to know, but uh, I think I know the answers to these questions. But what else is in your studio? Microphone in your mic chain? I generally know what's coming, but tell people about that. Well, I don't. I don't have a mic chain. Um, I, I don't – again, processing is not part of the, the voiceover guy job. Now, mm-hmm. for television affiliates, I do have some processing that I put on because things have changed in that realm, but I apply it later. I don't I – don't, I record yeah. flat. I, everything is recorded flat. And uh, for, the, for the television affiliates who have to drop this in, and their timeline yeah. is so fast, man. Uh, you know, uh, they used to have audio editors, but they, they don't have them anymore. And that skill set has been lost. So I do have to give them something that will punch through the, the, the music track. But yep. if I'm recording for an advertising agency or a production company or a trailer house, uh, I, give it, uh, I just capture the performance and send it to them. 
What we're hearing right now is how you send it to most of your clients short of some of these local TV affiliate clients. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you record on a 416? Yep. Yeah, Sennheiser 416. So, you know, go to any voiceover convention and there'll be, you know, a thousand of them. Well, you um, will you will you will hear a lot of people uh, uh you know, pissing and moaning about the 416. They think it's the greatest thing in the world or it's the most horrible mic. <laughs> in the world, yeah, uh, and and uh, do you know the 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 genesis of the four sixteen and how it became the voiceover mic? It was a film uh, boom mic, and then um, somebody famous needed to. Uh, I can't remember his name. You're going to kill me, but yeah. And he needed to cut something real fast, so he. he gr- no, it was it, it was, it was actually a better story than that. Even um, yeah, you tell uh, it. <laughs> Ernie Anderson was the voice of uh, yes. ABC Television Ernie in Anderson. the eighties, and. Um, um, he was a character, man. He was, he, uh, go to my website and look under the tab that says free. And there are some Ernie outtakes, uh, there. Uh, spoken word.com. I've right. already said it, but right. I wanted to make sure people are aware. Spoken word.com. Yeah. Well, Ernie was, uh, you, you may remember, he's the big voice guy, uh, the love boat on ABC. Yeah. You know he, legend. you know he, yeah. legendary yeah. sound. You can't do that. But uh, yeah. anyway, Ernie was a, was a real cantankerous uh, guy, and I don't know that this was true for Ernie, but a lot of people in the eighties were doing a lot of cocaine. And you remember how uh, Robin Williams? What? Ro- yes, yeah. I, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, Robin Williams said cocaine is God's way of telling you you're making too much money. And I don't know if it was that, but Ernie became extremely paranoid at one point. And I, I used to follow him in the booth at ABC. And and he he at a certain point he would refuse to go into the booth because he was he was convinced that the producer, the room producer, and the audio guy were talking about him. Now, they probably oh, were so because that's why he, he was a son of a bitch, you know? But, but <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. So, so he's, okay, I, I'm not going in there anymore. I'm sitting right out here. I'm sitting right here where I can keep an eye on you <laughs> yeah. guys. You want to use yeah. me on these promos? You can mic me right here. And it was a tiny little room with concrete blocks, and, and the acoustics were horrible. And, and equipment everywhere. And they had equipment. There was a big room uh, with a sliding glass door that had big one-inch machines, you know, going, oh. You know, so it was awful. Uh, so they weren't, you know, how were they going to mic him in there? And he wouldn't budge. He wouldn't budge. And they had promos that had to get out. So one yeah. of the engineers ran over across the lot to the general hospital set and grabbed one of their boom mics, which was a 416. Actually, no, yeah, it, was that's a four, savvy. it was a 415, the earlier okay. version, yep. the, uh, yep. the, uh, the 12 volt version, and brought it in and they hooked it up. And sure enough, it canceled out all of the room, and it had a little bit of a mid-range edge to it, which meant they didn't actually need to use as much processing on Ernie. Yeah. And it sounded great. So Ernie bought a couple and started carrying them around with him and insisting that all the other uh, studios use it. Yeah. And he made them buy it. He made them buy it, and it became the Ernie mic, and, you know, uh, it's pretty much all you'll see here. Can you tell me when that became prevalent? I'm, I'm guessing you can tell me when that became prevalent. It was probably around 89, 90. Is that when you started using one? Um, 
I guess, yeah, the first one I had was the 415. And the the thing that's great about a a 415 is it will forgive a, a poor room. Uh, a large capsule mic like a, like a Neumann sounds yeah. really great if you have it in a large room with a lot of open space and a lot of wood and a little reflectivity. You want a little liveness because, mm-hmm. a, you know, a large capsule mic like a Neumann, uh, you know, or, or an AKG or something in a little dead small space sounds like that. It's, yeah. it's muddy and muffled, and there's no punch to it. There's no clarity. You know, the, the little dead space room sucks up all the pretty prettiness out of it. It's just like a guitar, you know. Uh, the, the strings aren't really what makes that beautiful sound. It's the wood. It's the resonating box it, w- w- with a guitar or a violin. And so a, a large cap mic depends on the room. And most most project studios and home voiceover studios are not good rooms, you know. No. But the yeah. the four sixteen will, uh, uh, you know, is in, and not only that is it's consistent from one room to the next. I could record something at one studio with a four sixteen, and then go do pickup lines at another studio across town, you know, a, a month later, and it'll sound mm-hmm. the same. But that's not so for large cap mics. They're totally room-dependent. Also smart to record flat for that reason. Yeah. If you have to be punching in or doing pickups in various places, as long as you have your 416 and it's flat, yeah. boy, your sound's not going to change much at all, That's no matter right. where you are. That's right. Um, man, uh, I'm going to be taking up so much of your time, Bo. You're just going to have to throw me off of here. Hey, I don't I mind. Hear, you know, all right, I want to hear everything. Uh, I, I work all by myself in a, in a <laughs> semi-rural setting, and my wife is sick of my stories, and <laughs> she's so sick of your voice, right? Yeah, she so, hears you all the time. So, so uh, you know, I don't come into contact with people who are interested in my opinions very often. So this is so much fun for me. Awesome! You got a great spread up there. I I, I believe you you're up in the. Uh, it's Ohio, in Ojai. It's a little artsy fartsy village between Santa yeah. Barbara and L.A. Uh, and it's just it's it's lovely. We it, our modest little place is like a little compound of log cabins, uh, yeah. set in the orange groves. You know. Yeah, that's great. Oh, it just seems uh, like you've really got it. You, you got it locked in. You, you got it. You got everything locked in up there. Well, I it's like it. you know it's 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 nice uh, and it's it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, in in the eighties and nineties. You know, I, I got really, really busy, fortunately, and and I would go to, f- oh, man, four to seven studios in a day. Wow. And in L.A., you know, that's really hard. That's That driving is really hard to do because getting yeah, from Santa Monica to the each. Valley is, you know, is like yeah. going to be an hour or so now. And well, that's be, even worse. You yeah. know, people used to yeah. say, uh, uh, what do you do for a living? And I would say, um, I'm a driver. <laughs> I'm a driver. <laughs> I drive to studios. And there's this thing I do when I get there, but mostly it seems to be about the driving. So fortunately, um, being at home, you know, uh, I don't have to factor in travel time. But the downside is I miss the people. You know, I yeah. used to have such a wonderful relationship with hundreds of colleagues. Uh, Los Angeles has this incredible community of voice actors who are insanely talented. And I would run into them at studios four or five times a day, 
you know, and and I would see them at my agent's office. We would audition at our agent's office. And uh, often I would be in a group read with a bunch of other people. And these guys are so freaking good that it kicks mm-hmm. your game up a notch just being in the room with them. Just the energy that yeah. you absorb from other top talent. And working with top talent um, produces an energy and an inspiration. And and there's a little competitive edge, too. You know, you want to be at your absolute best when you are reading with guys uh, at that caliber of talent, you know. And we miss that yeah. now. I was about to get more into your day-to-day, but you made me think of a couple other things. I wanted to make sure that I talked about, well, I was going to bring up Don LaFontaine in general, but you are also uh, the, I wanted to, you're on the advisory board. Sorry, I was scrolling down my page here. You're on the advisory board at the Screen Actors Guild Foundation, the Don LaFontaine voiceover lab. I don't think I've put nearly enough time into that, and I've had a few people on that I should have talked about that more. Tell us what that is. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people, uh, you know, Don's been gone for 10 years. And uh, if you don't know who Don LaFontaine uh, is, uh, you know, because I say is because it feels to me like he's still with us. Um, He he was the, the movie trailer voice that became the iconic movie trailer voice that every other movie trailer voice has tried to be. And uh, he was an incredible talent. Um, But it was not just his voice and it was not just his his talent that uh, made him so incredible. It was the kind of human being he was. Uh, It Mm -hmm. used to be that the voiceover field was a bunch of kind of lone wolf uh, uh, guys who who jealously guarded their little territory. and, And Don wasn't like that. Don had the idea that uh, there was enough work for everyone. He was incredibly generous. Uh, You know, Don had a chauffeur-driven limo that took him to his gigs. And and that was no affectation. He had to. Don Don had so much work. You have no idea. How much work Don had, and, and in fact, at one point he was he was the voice of NBC and the Fox Network, the dramatic stuff, and he would do you know sometimes thirty other jobs in a day, and it was yeah. so much driving that his agent booked an hour at one studio in Hollywood every day at ten o'clock, and they would sell it in five minute increments. So people would call wow. and say, oh, my God, I, I got a copy change. I need to get a pickup from Don. And they would say, hey, he's completely booked tomorrow. Oh, Jesus, I got to have this. What can you yeah. do? Well, I can give you 1025 to 1030 tomorrow. <laughs> ISDN, connect at Woodholly. But here's the thing. Have the tape rolling when you connect up. Yeah. And don't do any small talk at the beginning because he's got five minutes. And at 1030, exactly, they're going to drop the lines whether you're done or not. And so it's it's one take for everything he did in his life. Right. But that's all he needed because, you, yeah. you know, I can remember being in the studio and they'd say he would do the take and it would be perfect. And they would say, okay, Don, uh, uh, why don't you uh, uh, give, us, uh, give us one more for protection? He would say, <laughs> make a copy of take one and save it. <laughs> And uh, they would say, "Okay, yeah. Don. Okay, that was perfect. It was great. Uh, uh, j- just give it. Give us one more." And he would say, "Why? You know, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah." But he was right. He was right. 
<laughs> anyway, he was he was uh, an incredible man, yeah. not just for his talent, but because of his uh, generosity. And when Don passed, there was a group of uh, of us who got together and said we we want to do something to try to to preserve the the ethos of generosity and inclusion that really characterized his personality. That's what we wanted yeah. to to uh, 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 to. Um, to try to keep going, and so Paul Pape and Joe Cipriano yep. and um, yep. and George Whittem were the were the mm-hmm. founders, and they assembled a group of people and asked us to to uh, to build this thing, and so we we built this incredible uh, teaching facility and voiceover uh, studio. Uh, at the Screen Actors Guild Foundation, and now there's one in New York. They've duplicated it I, in, New, in New York. I just saw that. Yeah. I just saw that. Yep. And so, any, what happens there? Well, the, uh, classes, yeah. classes, and uh, they have they will teach the technology. They have classes in recording technology, and there's also a an individual workstation where if you need to come and record some auditions or even do jobs, uh, if you're a, a union member, you can come and use it for free. You know, first mm-hmm. come, first come, uh, first serve, sign first up. Serve. Yeah. But uh, yep. uh, there are classes and workshops, and uh, uh, you know, uh, teachings uh, going on every single night there. Yeah, that's great. I, I just want to make sure I devoted some time to that. I knew you were on the advisory board. I've I've known Sip a really long time, and I, I don't think I ever really talked to him about it. Anyway, thanks for uh, you know talking about that. And Don LaFontaine, obviously a legend that everybody respects. Um, so, uh, kind of a terrible transition, but I do want to talk more about your day to day. I think people would be interested well, to know what it's like right now at, at, at this, at this stage, most of what I'm doing is, um, on a, on, on a regular basis is television pro- promos for major market television stations. And I've got a bunch of them that have put me on contract. And so basically mm-hmm. I'm their bitch. You know, yep, um, yep, and I come into the studio at seven thirty and record some okay. early stuff for the East Coast. I'm I'm across all the time zones, and mm-hmm. then I go eat, uh, you know, eat breakfast and drink coffee and walk the dogs, and then I get back in here at about eight thirty, and uh, I finish up at four thirty. Do you have that schedule? Are you able to sort of lock that schedule in, and all your clients are aware? Or do you have people coming at you at five o'clock, five thirty, six? No, know, I've, I've, got, I've I've had to to close it off. I've had to close it okay. off, and it uh, that works because I've got more people on the, on the East Coast than uh, than out west. Oh. So th- so that works. So it works out very nice. Yeah. So then I have and I have weekends off, and in between there are a couple of breaks uh, in in there each day where I will do you know a documentary series for like the mm-hmm. history channel or a commercial session or or whatever else it, it it happens to be that particular day but the bulk of it is uh, is television promos for uh, for affiliates and um what percentage of your work are I'm again I think I know the answer but do you go to an external studio to do these days zero yeah what percentage of your work did you do in an external studio in, let's say, the year 2000? Um, about 60%. Yeah. And it slowly transitioned to zero over the years? Well, or was there a time period there, where— there, there, is a, it, there was a big shift. Now, I, I was doing a lot of stuff from a home studio for television stations in other markets. But almost everything in L.A., I had to go 
yeah. uh, you know, and and be on premises, you know, and 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 what changed it was the aforementioned Don LaFontaine. Mm. Uh, Don had a home studio which uh, which he mostly used. When there was uh, an emergency, uh, you know, it's 9 o'clock at night, and he would say, okay, all right, come on over, send your producer over, you can record. He'd go down to the basement and record for them. And, uh, but, you know, he, he went to, uh, you know, all his gigs, and, and I, I remember in, in the, oh, God, I don't know, somewhere around, you know, 95, 96, running into Don one morning, and, and uh, it was at about 9 o'clock, and I said, "So, Don, is this your uh, is this your first gig this morning?" And he sheepishly held up his hand, showing five fingers. No, it was his fifth at nine o'clock in the morning, you know. <laughs> and I said, "Don, why do you? Why don't you just stay home? You have yeah. ISDN. Why don't you just tell everyone, you know, this is you you dial in. This is how I work." And he, and and I don't know if you know this, but Don had a a quote. A, a, a rate, uh, mm-hmm. a basic rate, which was uh, at that time was $1,750, $1,750 to show up. Okay. And in addition to whatever usage there was. So, yeah, $1,750 was just to get him in the door. To get him in the door. And he and said, then, you know, he said, you know I, I've got so many clients who are so loyal and they've used me over the years. And yeah. they kind of expect to see me. And I, and I feel like I owe them that. And besides my, my daily quote, I, I, you know, I'm making more in one session than the audio engineers making in a month. And I, I just feel like it's, you know, I owe it to them to, to show up. And I, and I said, Don, when, when you stop driving then the rest of us can stop driving. Can stop driving. <laughs> and that is exactly what happened. When Don finally said, okay, I'm staying home, you know, you got to dial ISDN to get me, it instantly became okay for the rest of us to do it. And it yeah. changed almost overnight. When was that? Do you remember about when that was? That was uh, probably, let me think, that was probably about 2002 or three. Okay. Yeah, because because yeah, like as you said, it could have been done before that. Way way before. Clearly. Yeah. 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 So that also helped you as well. Um, uh, over time, I mean, you've just done everything, but uh, you're, you're you've made it pretty clear these days. You know, a lot of your work, maybe most of your work, is affiliate announcing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what else are you into currently? Uh, you know, percentages maybe. Uh, still doing a bit of commercial work and uh, animation. What else? No, I'm not doing do any animation. I haven't done that for years. Um, you haven't done uh, that for years. You know, I, okay. I had a couple of uh, of pretty big series, and it was a it was a lot of fun. It was sort of a sort of a dream of mine to do that. But that's not really my my strong suit. Um, is it is it also not very lucrative, and so maybe it wasn't the best usage of your time financially? Is that a true statement? Well, in a certain sense, yes, because uh, those sessions are SAG day player ses- sessions, and they have you all day. Yeah, and you get an hourly rate, basically, right? No, not an hourly rate. You get you get a session fee, and then it p- plays usage when it runs. Okay. 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 Um, but that is, you know, less and less, and uh, more of the sure. what we typically call animation sessions are in for video games, and those are those, you know. Yeah. There's not as much money in it when and when you're doing a volume of other things. Yeah, it just it ends up eating up your day, and you can't do it. Yeah. What What else do you get into though? Commercial campaigns, um, network promo. 
et cetera? Right trailers? now, I'm not doing much network promo. Um, I do uh, network announce in various realms, but uh, I'm not on any regular promos right now, and I'm I'm um, I'm not. I'm not doing any trailers right now. Uh, they bought me a lot for trailers in the uh, in the '90s and the early aughts. They're just not buying me right now. And if, if I could, yeah. if I could ask, you know, because you're a pretty honest guy, clearly. What, what, like, why do you think that is? I mean, clearly you have the skills. Is it just the the taste of the time, or how come it was sort of you know it was the thing, and then now they're not using you for that now? Well, that that business has changed a great deal anyway. The, you know, most theatrical trailers. Don't have narrators. It's That's only a good point. it's only the television <laughs> spots now that do, and um, it's a very long, complicated answer about how that industry works. I would say yeah. this though, because I get to ask this all the time: um, if you're not currently a guy who's doing trailers, who are get who's getting bought for trailers, uh-huh. uh, you're not going to do trailers. So it's virtually it just it's just not going to happen. Oh, you could win the Powerball. You know, um, yeah. You know, I mean, theoretically, but realistically, it's not not going to happen. And you, most you, people who have trailer demos on their their uh, their websites, yeah. you take one listen to it and you go, "Oh, there's a guy who does not do trailers." <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you mean because there's five people that are doing ninety nine percent of the work? And well, that's... It, there's more than that. There's more than that. But uh, the trailer industry hires known quantities. You know, okay. They they hire whoever was on the last campaign that opened a film. So so the trailer industry, perhaps more than any other, is very fickle and sticks to, you know, the the, the tight little stable of their talent. It does, um, and they they only work through a handful of managers. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are, and, and even being with one of those managers doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to do trailers. But unless sure. you are with one of those managers, it's not going to happen. Now, if you think yeah. producing a trailer demo will impress some of your other clients who will think you're doing uh, trailers, even though you're not, and if you think it has some sort of cachet, well, you know, go ahead and do it. But mm-hmm. uh, a trailer demo on your website is not going to get you that work. Uh, as far as commercial work, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how much you're currently doing. I, I guess to I have start a couple there. of regular campaigns that have been using me uh, uh, for a long time, um, but almost everyone will tell you that uh, uh, no one understands what's going on with commercials right now. Um, hmm. People audition at the big talent agencies in LA, and they will then hear the commercial on the air. And the agents call each other, and uh, DPN calls CESD and say, "Hey, that Toyota campaign. Uh, did you book that? No. Did you? No. Did uh, did somebody from uh, SBV get that? No. It's not not one of their guys either. Who is it? I don't know. Nobody knows. But everybody's auditioning, and nobody's booking. It's really huh. weird. It's really weird. Is is it a Wild West kind of situation? We don't or, know. Or what a- nobody knows. Here's huh. the thing. Everything's changing, and nobody knows anything. Hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. Is that scary? It's not for me. I have a—you uh, know, I'm happy with what I have. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, I'm doing the best work I've ever done in my life, and I yeah. get to do it for— uh, clients who value what it is that I give them. 
and it's it's regular, and it's predictable, and um, I, you know, I, so I'm just I'm I'm grateful for what I have, in, you know. Yeah, you're enjoying what you're doing, and you're well, not wanting. And I got basically. I got I just got to a point where, uh, you know, here's the deal in in the early part of my career. I worked at it really, really, really hard. Uh, mm-hmm. When I first got to town, you know, I was getting up at five in the morning and sending out demos, uh, reading the trades and sending demos. And And one of the things that characterized my early career was I started doing promotion and marketing at a time yeah. when no one else was doing it. And in fact, the agents at the time in the early 80s forbade us to do promotion and marketing. They said, no, 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 no. This is Hollywood. They come to us. We don't go to them. And uh, I said, "Uh, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, and did it anyway. So, Weren't you scared? Weren't you worried you were going to piss off the wrong people and just not have a gig and not get work? No, because it got me work, and and it it created a name for me uh, in in a way that nothing else... um, uh, would so what I did is I pretended I was an advertising agency that had one client who was this voiceover guy. Oh, okay. And I came up with uh, promotional postcards, and I even, you know, at one point I said, um, "Okay, what did we do in radio? What was common between radio and what I'm doing now? I'm trying to get these advertising agency producers to listen to my voiceover demo. And in radio, we were trying to get people to listen to our station. So what did we do? We did contests. Oh, uh-huh, okay. I'll do contests. So I did. <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I was kind of an early adopter for a lot of things, and I created a... Uh, a way to play my demos on a phone line, pre-digital. And so I did a contest uh, uh, and sent out thousands of postcards to advertising agency producers saying, uh, call this number and, and uh, the, the, well, okay, the, the, I, I held out a prize as bait. And at, at, the, uh, at that point, it was like a little Sony miniature television. Oh, I remember those. And uh, so you could win a Sony mini TV just by listening to this voiceover demo. Call this number, listen to this demo, and answer these three questions about what's on the demo. You know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just fill it in on the card and send it back. And then we held a drawing. You know? So I, I did stuff like that. And, and, yeah. um, and I was just relentless. I just... Here's the thing. I refused to go away. And there were, were many areas where, where, um, where I found, oh, you know what? I don't really have the skills to do that. When I wanted to get into animation, uh, I really, you know, I didn't have the skills. So I, so I was willing to go get them. I was willing to go get training and go to classes yeah. and to be taught. And, and so I worked at it. And, uh, you know, and I just kept at it every single frickin' day. And um, so that, that persistence, um, w- you know, I, I really think helped me in the early part of my career. Now, at this particular juncture, we're living in a different world. And we are so inundated with emails and texts and social media and stuff. That kind of promotion and marketing, I don't think it works anymore. 
I think mm-hmm. it often has uh, the opposite effect. It, it can be negative, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but at this point, you know, I'm a little older now, and I've just gotten to the point where I'm no longer needing to bend the river. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with what I have. And yeah. and I, I got a, a, a wake-up call. I, uh, you know, I told you about those guys uh, with whom I started Three Fine Pipes. Uh, yep. Some years ago, um, I could not do a particular television station any longer because of a, another conflict. And so I called my friend Roger Thompson, who was one of the Three Fine Pipes, and I said, Roger, uh, I've got this uh, television affiliate, and I think your style would be really great for them. I'm going to refer them to your website uh, and I just want to let you know, uh, you know, they're really great people and and uh, I'd love for you to get the gig because I can't do it anymore. And, and, you know, what he said was he said, oh, Bo, aren't you sweet? That is just so kind of you to be thinking of me. But you know what? I think I'm going to pass. And I said, what? He said, yeah, I have enough. And huh. I said, Enough. And in, in all the years that I'd been in Hollywood, I don't think I'd ever heard that word. Yeah. He said, yeah, you know, I've got just enough clients to where I can do a really good job for, for each of them. And that makes me feel good. And if I took on any more, I might just, there just might be too much pressure. He said, and also, selfishly, I take Fridays off. I've trained my mm-hmm. clients to let me have Fridays off because... My spiritual practice is I fly an airplane. I just go fly around and be with the yeah. clouds, and, and that gives me joy. And if I had any more work, I, I probably couldn't have that. And so thank you so much for thinking of me. It means so much to me that you would, uh, you know, think of me like that, but I'm going to say no. And I, my, I had to pick my jaw up off the desk, <laughs> you know. Enough. And, and it, it, it really, you know, pierced me. And, but, and, and it took some years for me to arrive at that place where I say, hey, man, you know, I'm happy with what I have. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I uh, haven't had uh, anyone talk like that on this show before. So that's Well, that's our, the world we live in is more, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah. What's next? What's next? Well, you next? made me think, I think it, it might have been Wall Street too, actually, but someone said, you know, how much is enough? And his answer is, well, more. <laughs> That's right. And I also don't have a book to sell you, and I don't have uh, any classes or, or <laughs> workshops for you to coach you. And oh, I do no not workshop. have a podcast for you to like. So, you oh, know, what good am I? I have a podcast. I'm just yeah. doing voiceover, you know? Who knew? Man. Um, you know, you, you sort of, you didn't sort of, you definitely brought this up, training and coaching. As you've moved along throughout your career, what types of training and coaching have you got for yourself? Oh, you know, I, I, I do regularly. Now, I haven't done it in a, in a, in a few years, but, but regularly I will uh, work with a coach. Um, you know, if you are, uh, if you're an athlete and you're serious, you have a coach. Every serious athlete has a coach. And they know that you can't coach yourself. You'll coach yourself into a ditch, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have to empower someone outside yourself to uh, help you see what you can't see. And, and being willing to, uh, to be a beginner uh, and to take on something that you don't already know, uh, that, just, that just makes you a bigger person. So mm-hmm. 
over the years, I've worked with uh, Maurice Tobias. Uh, I was one Certainly. of I was one of her very first, um, you know, promo clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've I've worked with a, a man named David Lyerly, who I think is brilliant. His name has come up. Yep. And um, for commercial work, uh, I have worked with uh, Nancy Wolfson. I think she is the smartest person in the entire voiceover industry. And um, particularly for someone who comes from broadcast and doesn't quite yet get the distinction of what makes television voiceover in particular different from radio, she'll, she'll bang it into your head. Now, she's tough. She is... Do, do not expect to just get your ego stroked. Uh, but she's right. She's right. And uh, she's really worth working with. I, I, I work with her. So, yeah, I can... I can concur. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely want to get to a section about uh, something specific for people that are new and starting out, a little more of that. But I, I wanted to f- day-to-day, uh, not tech, not in the studio, but as a talent, are there certain things you can't live without? It's kind of a vague question, but I like asking it to see what happens. Well, what you know, what gives me joy as a human right now is just uh, walking among the orange groves and being yeah. one with nature and uh, playing with my dogs. And that, that sort of out-of-the-studio stuff is really important for people, especially if you're a, a solo voice actor working well, by yourself. And you're- I, I really think for, for anyone who is an artist uh, uh, of any sort, it's important to have outside interests other than just the narrow little thing that you do in a studio. Um, you know, some years back, I was at Pacific Ocean Post in Santa Monica, and uh, the session I was doing was late. They, I think they had some, probably Pro Tools crashed, you know, so everybody was running late. And uh, sitting in the lobby was Ben Kingsley, who, you know, does a lot of uh, narration-type voiceover, and, uh, you know, a couple of the other usual suspects in the lobby, and we were talking. And... Do you know that Sir Ben Kingsley did not once ask me anything about audio processing or microphones? He talked (laughs) about travel and art and theater and ideas, you know? Um, Nothing about um, studios and audio editing. Yeah. Because studios and audio editing are not things that make your life rich. Yeah, that's that's pretty key. Uh, I've had people just recently were bringing up the topic of, you know, getting into this industry. Everybody has different answers, and there's really, you know, there's no secret weapon. There's there's no secret sauce to you know one day suddenly become a successful voice actor. But what are your opinions on the best things that young talent can do right now? To, to jump in here and, and, and start off on a successful journey? Well, I think you have to start reading a lot. You sit and record yourself, whether you're doing it on an iPhone or you put together a little uh, inexpensive home studio. You read a lot, and you pay attention to voiceover work. Uh, now, if you are serious about getting into voiceover, you're going to study it. Now, uh, one of the things you will do is you will go to um, 
the web pages of all of the top talent agencies in New York and L.A., and you will listen to everyone's demo. And you mm-hmm. will, uh, so, you know, there is a service too, by the way, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. There is a service that you can get that will bring, deliver to your home all of the latest national commercials, promos, uh, narrations from cable networks, uh, movie trailers, um, you know, all of the, 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 the voiceover that is currently airing. And you can get that delivered to your home on a daily basis. Okay. It's called Spectrum Cable or Charter Cable. Or Time Warner Cable. <laughs> I was like, trying to think about where you were going with this, but yes. <laughs> and you have a DVR in your cable box. Yeah. And so each night, if you're serious about learning voiceover, you'll take another network, uh, uh, one each night, and record the whole evening. And then you will go back and you will scope through the programming and you will stop and you will listen to all the voiceovers. And you will say, okay, why did they use that person? Why did they... Why don't they read it like that? And then you might stop it and transcribe the words on your iPhone. And then you mm-hmm. go into your little studio or just read on your iPhone and, and try to find, okay, what do I have in my instrument, you know, in my, you know, experience as a human that could bring some humanity to that little story? And you will do it over and over and over again. And then you will find someone who's a coach to listen to you. And, um, and you will get in a class and you will do workouts and you will work one-on-one with coaches, but you will do it, uh, like just this, you know, exactly the same as if you, you decided that you were going to learn to play the mandolin, you know, Mm -hmm. you'd practice, 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 and you would listen to every mandolin player, uh, in the United States. Yeah. You know, and... Most of the people who say they're trying to get into voiceover aren't doing any of that. Yeah, that's, and it, that's really what it comes down to, putting yeah. in the work. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, Bo, this has been awesome. I have just taken up so much of your time. Um, there's something I wanted to bring up uh, before we roll, you know, before we end here. But you've got some comedic chops. <laughs> uh, I love it when I hear, you know, you book one of those uh, whatever Kimmel's doing, for example. Just an example. Uh, have you always had a little bit of a comedic edge to you or the ability to put that into your read oh, if oh, needed? Oh, sure. But, you know, uh, you, you got to give all the credit to the writers for that stuff. Sure. You know, I'm just sure. I'm just the guy. Um, yeah, but I, I, I understand what they're going for. And so I can make the make the pair. Not everybody work. can do that. I mean, not everybody can, you know, translate that, make that print. It's a lot of fun, though. It's great. Uh, what else? What else are you not doing that you that you maybe wish you were doing? I don't care what it is, but you know, like, oh, you know what? I'd love to be doing some of that. Anything like that? No, I, I you know, no? I have had the extraordinary good fortune to be able to work in almost every little niche there yeah. is in voiceover, uh, and is, um, yeah, even if you didn't want to do it. Is there any area you actually have? Because I was going to say, I think I mentioned this early on in the show, that you have worked in every freaking genre. But is there an area you actually haven't done? <laughs> Maybe I should ask it that way. I haven't done audiobooks. Okay. And um, that's a time probably, commitment. That's a I was gonna, huge probably time Probably not commitment. worth your time. <laughs> yeah. I sure love listening to them, though. Y- yeah. I consume um, them, uh, um, you know, with great frequency. 
Um, that's cool. Well, that's great. Well, hey, I tell you what. I mean, I I told you I'd I'd ask you on for thirty to sixty minutes, and I've gone too far. But Bo, you're awesome. I uh, you know I, I got the the epic advice from you here at the end, which is typically how I'd end the show. Uh, SpokenWord.com. That's the website. I'll it's have, way uh, out of date. Uh, so, uh, but uh, you know, it's I, I don't get work from my website anyway. So eh, yeah, you know, right. It's got some good demos on there, though. People can go listen to the full cool. demos. I played a sample up front, but they can get the full demos on there. And um, you can see pictures of me and find out, uh, you know, you that that uh, it's it's proof that there is a gracious higher power because uh, he or she has given me uh, an ability to make a living off camera because, as you will find, <laughs> I look like a homeless guy. <laughs> uh, I don't agree, but I mean... You got you got the long hair. I love the glasses, by the way. Uh, I did want to say that. I have actually I been thrown out of many uh, studios. <laughs> I walk in and they go, no, no, we've told you people, you can't come in here. You can't. <laughs> they they think I'm a homeless guy looking for a place to go to the bathroom. You know, that's uh, classic. And then I then I go, I no, I'm I, I'm here for the for the for the uh, commercial session. Yeah. And they squint at me talk. and I go off camera. Oh oh oh, <laughs> that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're down in Studio A. <laughs> that's awesome alright well hey uh, Bo Weaver uh, well, I do want to s- sincerely thank you so much for joining me on the show I really appreciate it big fun for me thanks for listening to all my old stories love it visit ryandreen.com to subscribe contact the show and listen to every episode please rate and review the producers podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app the producers podcast with Ryan Dreen.